There are certain things in life that I have a very uncomfortable relationship with. You know the kind of things I'm talking about. Mostly technological innovations that are supposed to make your life easier. Less complicated, more efficient, but very often end up doing the exact polar opposite. And on the whole, I'm, you know, very happy to embrace whatever newfangled tech that life throws at me. And if I'm being honest, anything that gives me an easier life is a nailed-on winner in my books. But there are always exceptions. When it comes to maps, I'm a little bit old school. You know, I used to love the challenge of orienteering when I was younger. Hill walking was nothing with nothing more than an OS map and a compass was a particularly satisfying pastime as well. And touring the glorious countryside of Scotland with a ubiquitous AA map book was always a joyful adventure of discovery. Knowing my north from my south and my east from my west might, on the face of it, seem like a strangely satisfying ability. But honestly, I've met folks who thought that Manchester was south of Birmingham and Edinburgh west of Glasgow, which, well, puts it somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, I presume. And for that, if we ignore the perpetrator's innate stupidity, I firmly blame the cult of the sat-nav. I really do miss proper maps, but fully accept the almost life-changing ease and convenience of sat-navs, and in particular that trusted friend of globe-trotting rally reporters, Google Maps. And while up until Sweden, me and Google Maps, we had a fairly decent kind of relationship, always there when I needed it, and generally the pretty reliable sort. And, well, that was more than good enough for me. But then Sweden happened, and all of that changed. It was the Tuesday before the event, and myself and our intrepid marketing director, Trevor, were planning a bit of a recce, of the revised stages. Being moderately prepared, we actually had a copy of the driver's recce schedule, so roughly knew where and when there would be a certain stage start. I say moderately prepared because much as we had the schedule to hand, we didn't actually have any rally maps. No problems. We had Google Maps, as mentioned earlier, the saviour of the globe-trotting rally reporter. And so our not-so-epic adventure at the start of the Finns Kovk Stage began. It all started out so well. Being the kind of prepared types, both myself and Trevor entered our destination into Google Maps and compared results. Fabulous. They were both matched surprisingly. So off we headed across the snowless, ice-free countryside of Sweden. Now, I'm going to blame Trevor for what happened on that fateful morning. But before I get to the story, I have to put my hands up and say I should have been more assertive. I know these stages, I know the countryside, and I should have known the way there. But that's as much an admission of guilt as you'll ever get from me. Trev, well, he's the boss, and as such, he was in charge of getting us there. As they say in America, period. So as we turned off the main road onto a small side road, well, I had a fleeting moment of concern. I was sure we were turning way, way too early, but having consulted both sat-navs, which were still, surprise, surprise, in complete agreement with each other, we pushed on. Now, at this point, I was driving, but a few kilometres further up the road, conditions started to deteriorate. We were by now in Norway, and there was plenty of snow and ice on this road. Actually, it wasn't really a road. It was now a track. We'd left the road behind about five kilometres back. Conditions were 
now so testing that I was feeling a little uncomfortable in my abilities to deal with them. And so, once again, I turned to the boss. And if you've read our adventures from Monte Carlo, you'll know that our Trevor is a bit of a mountain man. He was born in a snowdrift and seems to have lived half of his life either in the snow or soaring above it. Yeah, he really once was one of those certifiable nutters who throw themselves off ludicrously high ski jumps. Look, this is all getting a little hairy, Trev. I'm not sure about driving in these conditions was my well, somewhat timid reaction to sheet ice and ruts that were deep enough to swallow a small cow. Nonsense came the response. Move over. I've driven way worse than this back home. And with that, I relinquished all driving responsibilities to Trevor the Mountain Goat. Now, we need to remember that Trevor drives possibly the biggest road-legal pickup truck you can get back home in the States. Our little Opel estate bore very little resemblance to Trev's go-anywhere, four-wheel drive, Dodge Ram. But that didn't stop Trevor from pushing on down the ever-deteriorating track. Google Maps says it's this way, so this is the way it is. Oh, the sheer folly of it. And so after a couple of fairly dodgy hills that Trev pushed the little opal up and held on tightly as it slipped and slided its way back down, the blindingly obvious happened. We got well and truly stuck. Attempting to push the little opal through a wash away in the road and jump it, Kemblock style, over the rather pronounced hump on the road. Well, that was a, a bit of a challenge and probably a challenge too far for our intrepid little motor. To be fair to Trev, it was a valiant effort. He almost made it. And with another maybe 150 horsepower and two feet of clearance, we might have done, but we didn't. And we were well and truly beached, seemingly in the middle of nowhere. And so began a concerted effort, an increasingly frantic effort, I'd have to say, to extract ourselves and salvage our day. Well, what do you do first in these situations? Well, of course, you rev the nuts off the car and hope that the somewhat miraculously and completely against the laws of physics, you'll find some traction. Obviously, that didn't work. Okay, so the car's beached and the front wheels are actually not in contact with anything remotely grippy. I know, we'll jack it up, I've seen that done before, and somehow it works. But once again, technological advancements scuppered my cunning plan. Whoever thought that run-flat moose is an appropriate substitute to spare wheels and a jack needs shooting. Okay, on to plan B then. If there's nothing to grip into, then we have to find something to jam under the front spinning wheels and free ourselves that way. Pine branches were lopped off the abundantly available trees and jammed under the car. This was bound to work. Nope. All that resulted was a whole lot of tyre and pine smoke and a barrage of pine needles flying through the air like deadly missiles. On to plan C. Well, that was similarly cunning. I mentioned the washaway that Trev and the flying opal crossed on the way to the beaching. Well, it was full of gravel, but also ice-cold water. No worries. I'm a team player and was happy to take one for the team, so rolled up my sleeves and started scooping handfuls of gravel from the stream. Trev was patiently waiting in the driver's seat, right foot poised and heavy. I'm sure you can work out what happened. Yeah, lots more wheel spin accompanied by flying projectiles even more deadly than pine needles, and not an inch moved. Plan D, well perhaps that illustrates just how desperate our situation had become. 
As well as being beached, we were also in danger of missing our rendezvous with Dirtfish's chief correspondent, David Evans. Now, we're a tight little team at Dirtfish, with a range of complementary skills that seem to work well together. Trevor, he's the ice-cool risk-taker. I'm the slightly more cautious voice of reason. And while David, he's the warrior. Did I just say warrior? Sorry. He's the warrior. Uh, <laughs> most certainly not a warrior. The thought of having to call David and tell if our predicament drove us to ludicrously desperate measures. I'd spotted a solid metal towing hook while trying to locate the jack in the trunk of the car, perfect for the job I had in mind. I was going to chip away at the impenetrable ice base until I hit solid ground. Genius, I know. Now, anyone who's watched that magnificent movie Shawshank Redemption will know that Tim Robbins' character tunnelled his way out of the prison cell with nothing more than a rusty old spoon. But that took him 19 years. And you know what? I suspect it would have taken me even longer with my towing hook. So, hardly having scratched the surface, I gave up. But then, the real moment of genius struck. Look, every bloke, and probably a few girls too, that have ever spent any time in snowy regions will know the remarkable snow-melting abilities of taking a pee. Yeah, taking a pee. So that was the answer. We're going to melt the offending ice by peeing on it. I went first. But peeing on demand is never easy, and to be honest, it was a fairly pathetic effort. Trev extracted himself from the driver's seat for just long enough, as I politely looked the other way, to relieve himself also. He fared little better than I did. Plan, what are we on now? I think it's plan E, was also an epic fail. OK, we'd now been stuck for well over an hour, and it was time to swallow our pride, accept our total embarrassment and call in the rescuers. But who do we call? Well, we'd stop for a quick coffee on the way to our mornings, Nadir, and so Trev decided to call the coffee shop, as you do. And so followed a very start-stop conversation with a Norwegian coffee shop owner, with Trev doing his best to explain our predicament and, most importantly, our location. Bugger all chance of that happening was my initial thought. Seeing you're on a track, in the trees, by a lake, could have been just about anywhere in Norway. But Trev was very confident that they knew where we were. The cavalry was on its way. Apparently that's how things work in rural America. Anyone helps out when needed, so why wouldn't it be the same here in rural Norway? As I said, he's a confident sort of chap, our Trevor. While we waited for, as it turned out, the brother of the coffee shop owner to somehow find us, it struck me that we were deep in the heart of wolf and bear country. Well, no problems, declared our intrepid leader. I once fought off a mountain lion that attacked me back home. OK, so he might have actually said bobcat, but to... Well, this slightly ignorant and easily impressed Scots lad from Dundee, bobcats, mountain lions, well, they're as near as damn it the same thing, aren't they? And with that, my respect for Trevor went up more than a notch or two. And you know what? Then it happened. Over the crest of the snow and ice-covered hill appeared the glorious sight of a battered old Volvo estate. The cavalry had incredibly understood where we were enjoying the delights of the Norwegian countryside, and had come straight to us. The look on the face of the coffee shop's owner said it all. Yep, he was happy to help, but what were we thinking? When he did speak, he only said two audible words, tractor track. He may also have muttered the Norwegian equivalent for halfwits under his breath. 
So tow rope firmly attached to the towing hook that had previously been so ludicrously abused. First gear engaged, right foot gently caressing the gas, and the brother of the coffee shop owner, Olaf as it turned out, dragged us off our icy mound and up the hill. My admirations for Volvos and Norwegians called Olaf hit stratospheric heights. Well, so the moral of this rather long and depressingly lacking in common sense story is never blindingly trust a sat-nav and always trust a Norwegian called Olaf. Oh, and never underestimate the mountain lion fighting capabilities of your colleagues. Thanks for listening.